Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're in a series called Wild and Free, and um, we are looking at ways we are designed to live according to the scriptures. So uh, this morning, I want to talk about freedom. I want to talk about the nature of freedom and what it means to live and remain in true freedom. So to begin, I want to talk about uh, my son Ezra because I thought it was appropriate with baby dedications to use this this as a time to talk about that. So uh, for those of you that that haven't had kids or haven't spent a lot of time with kids, there are various non-technical stages of parenting and growth development in a kid's life. And I'm not an expert in it. I'm just going to tell you the, the various stages. The first stage is they don't do absolutely anything for themselves. They don't move. They barely breathe. They, uh, but they eat and make a mess. Um, and that's about it. They sleep a lot and they cry, but they can't move their heads. There's, also, there's this weird stage. It's like the exhausted parent stage. That's what I'll call it, okay? And then, and then it moves from there where they begin to move around 
and um, they begin to move their head, they begin to talk back, and they begin to identify with you and make all sorts of sounds. And then eventually it gets to the point where they're kind of pushing themselves. They're not able to roll over or push themselves up, but they're, they're beginning to interact. And then they start rolling over, and you have to take necessary precautions, okay? Like don't leave them on a, a bed or a couch by yourself, you know, thinking that they're not moving to now they roll over and fall. Not that I've done that or any... Or anything like, just worry, you know, just be concerned for that stage. And then it keeps going, and eventually they start crawling, and that's when you really need to be on top of the game of keeping them from killing themselves. So, um, which in that stage, you got to get stuff off the floor, you got to cover the furnace, floor furnace, you've got to pick up pennies and all sorts of goodies that you n- normally don't allow, You're, you know, you just leave on the ground. You got to be aware of those things because they start getting into those things. You got to teach them that. You gotta put plugs over your, or you gotta put like uh, baby protectors over your plugs. What are those called? What? Yeah, outlet protectors, something like. Because they'll they'll literally put anything in there. This is all true. I'm helping you guys out. It took me it took me a while and some accidents to figure this out. And then eventually they start walking, and that's when things get serious. That's when all of a sudden it's like everything's game. They just start terrorizing your house. They start climbing up stuff. They start falling down. They start uh, walking stairs. Hi, Alyssa. Did you want to come during my sermon and grab a tissue? (laughs) I haven't even said anything yet for you to cry. All those kids are making you cry. (laughs) There's tissues up here um, for your convenience. Not mine, apparently. Just kidding. So anyways, they start walking. I love Alyssa. She's my sister. She can do that. So um, she's, you, they start walking around. So what happens there is they begin to experience freedom as a kid. So when Ezra started walking, we had a house. We rented a house on 3rd Street. And he would walk in our house. And during this, the winter, he wasn't going outside. But then he discovered the outside, okay? And he would want to go outside all the time. So he'd go to the door and start fussing about getting outside. And we would, you know, reluctantly allow him to go outside when it wasn't wet and play outside. But the problem was our particular house, the way it was set up was there was a driveway or there was a street in the front and then there was a driveway that went to the back, a detached garage, and there was nothing stopping you from walking to the front to the backyard of our house. There was no fence between the d- detached garage and the house. And so if we wanted to let Ezra, Ezra go outside and play, he would, he would, we would have to supervise his, his actions. We couldn't just open the door. We'd have to walk with him and play out with him. And eventually he would wind down the, you know, the driveway and try to jump in front of a car and the, you know, or whatever. I would keep him from imminent doom. And so we, in order for him to have the freedom, he was supervised in his freedom until my wife, who is a genius, decided to fix that problem. And she purchased a two and a half foot baby gate. Now, the baby gate went, it was, it was a piece of plastic with two screws connecting it from the house to the detached garage and blocking the driveway. And all of a sudden, that little tiny boundary and limitation created all sorts of new undiscovered freedom for Ezra and for our life. What happened was we could open the door to our house and now Ezra was able to roam free without supervision in our garage, in the backyard, in our house. And we didn't have to supervise his every move because he was protected from the thing that would have produced damage with his freedom. Are you with me? Sometimes limitations empower greater freedom in our life. 
And so I want to talk about that concept today because it's in the scriptures. I want to talk about what that looks like this morning. And so um, we're in a quick review for all the guests. We have a bunch of guests. I'm not going to single you out. Um, I won't make you do the garden shuffle. Um, but anyways, there's not a garden shuffle. <laughs> uh, the, the, so we started our series in uh, Genesis 1 and 2. What we discover is that we were made in the image of God. We were built for perfect, loving relationships with God, with ourself, and with other people. Uh, we were, uh, you could say to the person next to you, I was made for you. Say that real quick. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I was made for you. Hopefully you're talking to someone that, you know, that could go south. Okay, stop that right now. Okay, anyways, all the single people are like, yeah, all right. We were blessed to rule and subdue to rule and subdue means that we were to represent God on earth. We had power. We were given power and authority and freedom to represent God on earth. And that what power was used for was to empower the rest of creation. We were created in Genesis 1 and 2. Humans, all humans, were created in the image of God and empowered to create other environments for the rest of creation to flourish. That was our responsibility, purpose, and task as humans, to cultivate, steward, and create other the, the environments for the rest of creation to flourish. We are, our image, our identities were rooted and established with intimacy and intimacy in God. We had freedom, and we are empowered in that freedom to live with God in perfect relationship. But that, we know that in Genesis 1 and 2, that was, that was how it started. But in Genesis 3, we read that that was sabotaged. That story was hijacked by a different kind of story. You see, in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve were given freedom of choice. Now, stay with me for a second. They were given freedom to love God and to serve God or to love and serve something else. And guess what they chose, which is the human story in itself. We chose to love and serve someone else. And most of us are serving ourselves. Would you agree? And so because of that, there was a distortion between the way humanity was supposed to thrive perfectly in relationship with God. And because that got distorted, everything else got distorted. And so sin enters into the story. Sin is um, a life that was, uh, that's missing the mark. It's a life marked by corruption, by brokenness. We are designed for perfection. Sin comes in. And the immediate thing that happens is humans are introduced to shame and fear. And shame and fear keep you from being fully human. You see, you were designed for intimacy, no shame. You were designed uh, for, to be naked and unashamed in Genesis chapter two. But when sin comes into the story, we hide from each other, we hide from God, we carry fear, which uh, shrinks our, our life in half. It, it, it keeps us from living fully. We, we, uh, shame comes into the story and we carry all sorts of unnecessary false ideas about ourselves and it keeps us from fully functioning as humans. And so uh, the other thing that happened in Genesis three is the power we were given was handed over to Satan and the power that we now possess, rather than it being used to empower and lift creation and other people, it's used to dominate and manipulate in relationships. Can anyone relate to these, these things? Okay, thank you. So that's from last two weeks. Now we're gonna pick up. So how do we get back to the way it was? How do we begin to operate then 
uh, in a Genesis 1-2 reality with all the stuff that we know, anxiety, despair, using power to manipulate and dominate, having broken relationships, not just with other people, but we ourselves are broken internally. We carry false identities around. We carry all sorts of shame and guilt. We don't know how to have a relationship with God. So how do we get back there? The answer we talked about in week one is Jesus. Jesus comes to give you life here and now. He comes to set you free from the bondage of sin, from, uh, from the, the, the imprisonment of shame and fear. He wants you to be wild and free in this world and to live the way you were intended to live. This is the story of the Bible in a nutshell. And so Jesus comes, he's reconciling all things to himself, back to God, which is he's restoring all things, renewing all things, and he's redeeming all things. And so Jesus comes to us to give us a new way to live in the way that we experience transformation is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is just a lot of review for us. So the Spirit comes into our life to transform us. He wants to, he wants to do something in us so that he can do something through us. Are you with me? So that's where we pick up. And so the question then is, how do we live the way we were intended to live in freedom? You with me? So I want you to go to Galatians chapter five. We're gonna do a Bible study this morning. I didn't hear any groans. Good, okay, we're good. We're caffeinated. Um, but we love the scripture, and I love the scripture because something that's 2,000 or even older than 2,000 years is so relevant for our lives today. And we wanna orient our church around the word. And so I'm gonna talk from Galatians chapter five um, with a few verses. We're just gonna look at it. What does Paul have to say to a, a church in Galatia? That, what does that have anything to do with how we experience life and freedom today? Well, it has all sorts of things. So if you have a Bible, go to Galatians 5. Chapter one or chapter five, verse one. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up in the front. If you, if you want one, take it, or you can download an app on your, your smartphone. I'm sure um, you can do that. That way you have it everywhere you go because I know you're always wanting to read the Bible. I think that's what people are doing in line at Starbucks. They're just reading the YouVersion Bible app. That's why they're scrolling. <laughs> that was a Christian joke. I shouldn't have done that. Okay, anyways. I know, okay, that was an easy one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? Amen? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now stay with me. Jesus, his mission and purpose of the cross and his life and his resurrection was to set you free, to deliver you from the bondage of slavery that you were once in. That's what Paul's saying here. So for the love of God, don't be yoked in slavery again. And now Paul is talking about all sorts of slavery and putting a yoke on yourself. So uh, the, the, the kind of nemesis, the enemy of freedom is slavery and captivity. So we have to create a new mindset of freedom because we have a slavery mindset, most of us. We have to learn how to operate in freedom. And so Paul's gonna teach us on what to do. So when he says, when you put on a yoke of slavery, what is he saying? Well, we do this all the time. One way that it's apparent in our life, you can just evaluate it. Anytime you find meaning, value, or significance in what people think of you, what you look like, how much money you make, who you know, how many likes you get, whether or not you own certain things, what you purchase. Anytime there's a greater sense of value, purpose, and meaning, in other words, your identity is drawn from those things, you're putting a yoke of slavery on yourself. 
that cannot compare to the fact that you have been given every spiritual blessing on earth and in heaven, that you are seated with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you have the inheritance, you are a co-heir with Christ, you're reigning with Christ. That cannot compare that you are a child of God, adopted, and a son and daughter of the Most High. You have a royal identity. That cannot compare. How many likes you get is a slavery mindset. Knowing who you are, walking in that identity, is one of freedom. Every time you, you feel down about yourself because that's where you find your significance. You are putting on a burden, a yoke of slavery. Every time you criticize someone harshly and judge them, you are operating with a slave's mindset. Are you with me? Okay, so um, Galatians 5, Paul says, we gotta remain then in who we are, which is we have been built, set free, destined for freedom. So how do we operate in that place of power? Because as my son begins to walk, he gets to experience the power of freedom in his life. And there needs to be limitations on that power for the sake of his freedom being free, not slavery. And I'm using slavery, which we'll define in a second. But in order for him to actually experience the life that he's designed to live, if he goes off to the side and goes in the street, he could get hurt. And he won't be able to walk if he gets hit by a car. Would you agree? All of a, all of a sudden, his, his freedom is gone because he can't walk. Anyways, that's, that's horrible. Um, Galatians 5, but that's what Paul's going to get to. So the, the next tw- uh, 10 verses or so from Galatians 5, 2 to 12 are all contextual to what Galatia was facing at the time. And just so you know, what had happened in that local church is a group of Judaizers. Stay with me real quick. Judaizers were these people that believed they had to fulfill the Old Testament. They had to live out the Old Testament law in order to stay faithful to God in Christ. Now, what Paul talks about is circumcision. And Paul goes off. I mean, if you read that passage at the end of verse 12, he tells the people that are doing that to emasculate themselves. I mean, that is how Paul feels about the law defining our freedom in Christ. He's saying, you're free from law. You're free from religion. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He sets you free so you don't have to earn your way or favor to your new identity and freedom, which is what the law does. It tries to make you earn your way, check a a list, check a box off the list and and climb your way to favor in God. You already received that through Jesus' death, um, burial, and resurrection. Are you with me? All right, so we're good. Verse 13, then we pick up. And he says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Here we go. You're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Serve one another, rather serve one another humbly in love. And this is, this particular verse is for the garden church in this season. I think it's for this generation as well. And I want you to stick with me. I know we don't often talk about, talk about this type of subject, but I'm, I believe the Lord has highlighted this for a reason because, reason, because if we are going to live wild and free, that doesn't mean we live and do whatever we want, when we want, and how we want, which is by definition our generation, our culture, and society's definition of freedom. What I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, limitations equal uh, uh, eliminating freedom. So Paul says we're called to be free, and now he's gonna teach us on how to remain free. And as soon as he, start talks to, as soon as he starts talking about how to live free, he puts limitations on our freedom. He's, in, he's showing us that Freedom is not an unlimited access or choice. It is about, it's directed by certain 
a certain way of existence. And I want you to pay attention to this. He's going to show us that limitations and boundaries in certain areas um, of life empower greater freedom in every area of our life. When we put certain boundaries and limitations in, in certain areas in our life, to, to walk in holiness, to pursue purity, to listen to what the scriptures say and live our life around those, those, those practices, those characteristics and attributes. It empowers the rest of our life. But what we think and what we focus on is the baby gate, right? So if Ezra stood up there shaking the baby gate, he doesn't see the unlimited freedom he has over here. But this one thing empowers the rest of his life. And we do this all the time. And it comes as a shock to us because as millennials and this generation, I'm just gonna call this speaking to myself and the millennial generation, and I'm sure all the older folks here would agree that we have made our feelings God and idols. It is the scariest thing. We are the the self-esteem generation where we base everything we do on our feelings. If it feels right, I'll believe in those things. If it feels right, then I'll go to that party. If it feels right, I'll do. And that's dependent upon the moment. It's dependent upon where you are and with who, with who you're with. And it's not built on any reason or logic. We have allowed our feelings to, to motivate, to drive us in directions that we're not supposed to go. Would you agree? And we hate limitations. We are the adventure hashtag, the freedom hashtag generation. And that adventure is, oh, we're going to spend all this money and go on a vacation through Europe. And that's what we think is the adventurous lifestyle. Or it's, 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 it's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm just going to call it out real quick. And if you're new to the, the Christian church, I normally don't talk like this. But let me just share a couple of things. First of all, alcohol. Nothing wrong with alcohol in itself. We are free to drink alcohol as individuals. Alcohol by itself is not a sin. Okay? But in our culture, context, Christianity... We have said, oh, as long as it's in moderation. But then how, what is moderation? Because for some of you, it's a few too many and a few too often. And you know what I'm talking about. The craft beer scene, which I love, has become a wave of indulging in the flesh. Okay, some of you are quiet. A lot of us are quiet. (laughs) Okay, let's take a break. You guys want to like fellowship time for two minutes? <laughs> lust. Let's talk about lust. <laughs> let's talk about sex and they're little ones. So I'll be, I won't be graphic, but let's just say some, we have gotten to the place where it's, it's not real pornography. It's just Instagram. Relationships. Well, it's not really sex as it's defined. It's other things, not sexual intercourse outside of marriage. We create these these boundaries. What are we doing with that? We are indulging in the flesh. I want to even go further because those are obvious things. What about social media? I love social media. I love posting things. I love being connected to people. By itself, it's neutral. But what what has it done to our community and our lives? It distracts us first and foremost. We're we're, We're checking Facebook every six minutes of the day. We are, we are distracted as parents. We're distracted to our spouses. We're distracted to the kingdom of God and the purposes that God has for us in our life. It's neutral by itself. I'm not saying 
don't do social media. But when it has unlimited access in our life, when we have unlimited access to, to internet, so we're constantly browsing, we're constantly using our phone, we, we are missing out on what is really life. So a thing in our life can just be neutral, but when it's unlimited, it begins to take over and it's no longer freedom, it's slavery. We become enslaved to those things. Do you get what I'm talking about now? And as long as we allow that to happen, let's talk about materialism. As long as we give a little bit to the church and whatever that percentage is in your mind, it's okay for you to buy whatever you want. But maybe that has become an idol in your life. That has become a distraction in your life. That has become a place of overindulgence. That has become a place of meaning, significance, worth, and value. Do you know what I'm talking about? Gossip. Anytime someone starts off a sentence saying, um, I don't want to gossip, but I just got to tell you something. They're gossiping. <laughs> it goes on and on. And you, know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to gossip, but I just need to warn you about someone. We're getting serious today. All right. Paul says that is the way of slavery. And so um, what does he mean by flesh? Let's define this for a moment because Paul's not referring to just physical. He's referring to uh, something in the scriptures called the sinful nature. Um, if, if you look at a computer or uh, let's look at this iPad. Here's an iPad. And um, the physical thing here, the physical unit is their hardware, okay? But inside the iPad, in the computer, there is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is uh, operating system applications and software, okay? So what the sinful nature, what happened is the operating system got a virus. Are you with me? So Jesus comes to give us a brand new operating system. So that's, that's the flesh, the sinful nature, the way that's marked by sin and disobedience and all that stuff. That is, that, is, uh, that is an operating system that's been contaminated by sin, by shame and fear, and Jesus comes to give us a new one. So that's the, that's the flesh, and Paul says, um, the way of the flesh opposes the way of the spirit. So Jesus comes to give us a new nature, a way that is aligned with God rather than opposing that. So what does he say life in the spirit looks like? What does freedom look like? Well, According to Paul, the litmus test is this. It's always found in service towards other people. This is, this is where I was shocked this week. And I'm gonna speak from my heart. Stay with me. I've got about maybe 10 minutes, eight minutes here. Galatians 5, um, verse 13. I'm gonna read it in the message. Here's the message for us. This is what uh, one translation says. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to, be, to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use your freedom this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want, whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. Oh, is that good news? So how do we exercise and learn our freedom? As parents, we do this all the time. We limit our freedoms for the sake of the next generation. Do you notice that? It starts when, when a woman is pregnant. She doesn't eat certain foods. She can't drink alcohol. She limits her freedom for the sake of the next generation. As followers of Jesus, we have to learn this way of existence. Paul will go on to give us some, some ways, helpful ways to live then and make decisions that re keep us in freedom. I'm gonna, I have three questions that, uh, that will help you, to, to help you guys discern how to operate in this life with unlimited freedom. How, do, how then do we re remain free and not live um, and slavery. Here are three questions from the scriptures that we'll ask. First of all, question number one that will help you. Does this freedom 
empower greater love for others or does this freedom empower greater self-interest? The question you ask in whatever you're doing in your life in decision-making is does this empower greater love for others or does it simply empower greater self-interest? Paul says this, verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Okay, this is so amazing. The rabbis during Jesus' day They had 613 laws in the Old Testament and additional laws on top of that from the oral tradition. The Pharisees followed 2,000 plus laws. What the the rabbis would do is they would try to condense all of the law into one sentence or a couple of verses. This was an ancient practice. Paul gives us his basically interpretation of all of the things that Jesus teaches, all of the things of the Old Testament right here. He's doing a very rabbinic thing. I love that stuff. So he says this. This is how you keep the commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That one thing means that you're loving God and fulfilling the rest of the 613 commandments if you love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul summarizes the entire law, taking Leviticus 19.18. And I would say that Paul reflects on the life of Jesus. How do we exercise our freedom? Is it empowering greater love for other people or is it serving my self-interest? That's the question you need to ask. If you focus on the restrictions, you miss the freedom that God's given you. He wants to expand your life. He wants to elevate it. So true freedom is always exercised in love. It's the atmosphere of love. You you choose to operate your life in an atmosphere of love. True freedom is always exercised in relationships. Now, this is already going against the millennial perspective because the God of the millennials is how it makes me feel. But what Paul is saying is, how is this feeling exercised in a community with love as the primary goal? So let me just give you a perfect example of ways that this will work itself out in community. Anyone here have roommates? Okay. I want to speak to you guys that aren't married that have roommates real quick. Because if you learn this now, you're going to save yourself years of heartbreak. If you learn how to exercise your power your authority, your freedom in a way that honors, blesses, empowers other people in love, you will live a better life, period. If your focus is on your Chipotle burrito that's left over in the fridge with your name on it, (laughs) or that one time that you did the dishes and you're keeping tally in your head, you bought the toilet paper. Literally, that's small. What is that? That's serving your self-interest. In the kingdom of God, the economy of God, the way we exercise it, the way Christians are called to do, uh, to live this life is to think about other people, serve them. Who modeled that the best? Jesus. Do you see how this changes the way we interact with one another? And so it's in context of a community. That's why the next verse, verse 15, he says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out that you will be, or, uh, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And that language in Greek is criticize harshly and judge. So in community, when you live with your self-interest in mind, what do you do? You judge others. You criticize others. You keep a scoreboard in your head of all that you've done and all that they haven't done. And we do this in our marriage. But in Christ, freedom looks like laying down those self-interests for loving others, empowering them in their life. That's so hard. What does that sound like? It sounds like dying to yourself. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Jesus said something about that. Anyways, um, but we, well, let's just read over that part. That makes it easier. We just want to talk about the lilies of the field, you know? <laughs> How do you know? Okay, so um, 
The second part, let's keep going. Am I motivated by the Spirit of God or am I motivated by the desires of the flesh? Now, this is going to be a hard one for us to identify because a lot of us don't even know what it's like to be motivated by the Spirit, but that's what we get to learn. So Paul will give us um, a way, like a way of thinking about this. So he says this in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Again, he's, he's talking about freedom is not doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So how do we learn to operate in the Spirit? How do we know if our life is beginning to be expanded by the Spirit? Well, the question I want you to ask is, does this experience, does this, this decision expand my life or shrink it? And already you're thinking, well, if I give up my freedom, I'm shrinking my life. That's not how it works. Here, here's a couple of thoughts real quick. I believe that the Spirit of God energizes, animates, and motivates the people of God if you allow your, the Spirit to do that in your life. Jürgen Moltmann, a famous German theologian, says this, and this is a little bit of a complex um, quote, but I want you to listen to this quote real quick. Um, do we have it on the screen? Okay, so this is from uh, the Spirit of Life, the Source of Life. He says, in the Spirit, God himself is present and surrounds us from every side. We live and breathe in God's atmosphere. So the Holy Spirit becomes the new life's vibrating and vitalizing field of energy. We are in God and God is in us. Our stirrings towards life are experienced by God and we experience God's living energies from Psalm 139. In the broad place of God's presence, the new life can unfurl or expand from Psalm 31.8. In this way, God's spirit is experienced as the power of the new life in us and as a space of the new life around or around about us. Do you see what that looks like? In, in, in some ways, what, what Jürgen Moltmann is saying is that the spirit comes in us and dwells with us to not only, he expands our internal life, but also he's around us and he's expanding that life to be the life that is really life. Now, that sounds very philosophical. Let me explain it from another way to look at this. So we're talking about restrictions. We're talking about learning to operate in the spirit. There's a, a woman named Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of, of Charles and John Wesley who started the Methodist movement. I love this. This is, this is the way to think about this. Am I motivated by the spirit or the desires of the flesh? Check this out. She says this. Whatever weakens your reasoning impairs the tenderness of your conscience obscures your sense of God or takes away your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin, however good it is in, your, in itself. I hope you, what you're not hearing is we're talking about creating more restrictions. I'm talking about learning to recognize the things that are really life in your life. Quick illustration, and then we'll, we'll close with one more point, okay? Um, in the U.S., the way cattle ranchers uh, protect their cattle and organize their cattle is based on property. And so what cattle ranchers do is they build fences. And cattle ranchers build fences, keeping intruders from coming in and keeping their cattle from going out. And those bounded sets keep, uh, uh, allow a rancher to know which cattle are his. And, and for many of us, that makes sense. But in Australia, where the land is vast and large and wide and open, it would be impossible for ranchers 
to build fences around their property line. Rather than focusing on the boundaries, what cattle ranchers do or ranchers do in Australia is they dig wells. And they dig deep wells for water. And although the animals can go off the confines of their property, they stay close to the well because the well is life. So the question is, are you building fences in your life or are you digging wells? Are you with me? And at the garden, I just want to say this. This is why this, this, that permeates everything we believe about Jesus, that Jesus is the well, and the closer you get to him, the closer your life will look like his. And we're not focused on who gets in and out. We're not focused on the bounded set model. We're focused on building a great deep well. You with me? Okay. So lastly, what kind of life does my fruit produce? Sorry, what kind of life does my freedom produce? It's been a long day already. What kind of life does my freedom produce? Galatians 5, 9. This is from, um, 19, excuse me. This is from uh, the message. I wanted to read this. It says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way. That sinful nature we're talking about. This is what Paul says is the flesh. The acts of the flesh are repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never, never satisfying wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love and to be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, and things of the flesh, you won't inherit the God's kingdom, the life that you're intended to live. But he says this, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. Or let me just continue in the message, verse 22 of the message. But what happens when you live God's way of life, when you use your freedom through the Spirit? He brings gifts into your lives. Much the same way fruit appears in, on an orchard. Things like affection for other, others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Or you could say it this way, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have been crucified uh, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, the question then is, is your life producing more acts of flesh or more fruit of the Spirit? And brothers and sisters, this is what's good news. True freedom, life in the Spirit will always empower greater love for other people. It will always empower a greater expansive filled life and it will always empower greater fruit in your life. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is what it means to be wild and free. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.
Sweet. 